0: By darkness and death, we who are in Christ Jesus are given a promise of a kingdom with only light and life. But you know you, and I know me, and as great as God's grace is, as wonderful as the gospel is, we tend to walk away from our huddle together and forget the play. Uh, we, we tend to leave the gathering and the encouragement of God's people. And as soon as we walk away, we forget. We forget. And you say, well, I don't forget. Well, yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Everyone from time to time, we have the tendency and the urge within us to suppress even the best of truth. We have the tendency to, with our flesh, attempt to suppress even the gospel. And we know that we do that because from time to time we stress, we worry, we grow anxious. Uh, From time to time, we are people who can grow bitter, angry. We're people who have the ability within us to gossip, slander, to grumble. When we do these things, we have forgotten something that's true about our Lord We've forgotten his word in some way. See, we're a people who sin. It's because we forget something that's true about Christ, what he's done, what he is still to do, who we are in him. So if I can just shepherd you by God's grace for just a moment, I wanna give you a couple of things that I believe us as a church family, we can do during this season to better remember God's word to us. The first is this, is just know God's word. In just a couple weeks, we're gonna have for you a new Bible reading plan. And a lot of you have been asking about that. We will release that soon and and you'll get the Bible reading plan. And for some of you, you'll start really strong and after three days, you'll stop. (laughs) We want you today to start reading God's word. Know his word. You know, read it, hear it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it. We, we want you to know the word of God. This is how we know of God's goodness. This is how we know of God's plans for us. We want you to soak it up, take it in. We want you to search God's word and let God's word search you. So know his word. Secondly, and this may sound funny, place gospel roadblocks in your life. If you, some of you, you you pulled into town and you noticed something about Tuscaloosa, there are roadblocks everywhere. It's like we got money in the city and we said, let's, let's fix all the roads the same day. You know, that's what happened. Like there's one road that's open. I think, you know, like, like every road has a detour. And as frustrating as those detours can be, I want to tell you about a really good detour that you need to place in your life. And it's that of the gospel on every road that would lead you astray. And I don't know what that might be for you. I don't know what your temptations are. I don't know, you know, what those trigger points might be in your life. But I'm telling you, it's where we make a way for the gospel to be preached to us every day. You know, and for you, maybe your struggle is on the computer and maybe you need to have a note across the screen of your computer that says, all women are made in God's image for God's glory. Anything I look at on this computer better proclaim that message in my heart. Maybe you need to, at the place that you sit and you worry or the place that you sit and you become lazy, maybe it's something that you do that causes you to be idle and not be uh, gazing at the glory of Christ and focused on him. You need to place roadblocks in your life that point you to the gospel of Jesus, whatever that may be. One great roadblock is Advent. Advent. And I believe that Advent is something that is wonderful for us as a church uh, to observe together. Advent is a gospel roadblock. For four weeks, people all across the entire world will say, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Christ and his coming and Christ and his return. We're going to focus our attention not on gifts in themselves, not on trees and family gatherings in themselves. We're going to gather together as a church and we're going to say, Christ Jesus was born, God in the flesh. Christ is coming again. He'll make all things new. We need to place gospel roadblocks in our life. That's why we're doing this today. That's why we're doing this. And so for the rest of our time, what I want us to do is go to the book of Exodus. And so if you have a Bible, this is the second book in it. We've been studying Genesis. All you got to do is go to Genesis, go one more book over. It's the book of Exodus. And what's interesting about the book of Exodus is that throughout Old Testament history, God is constantly calling his people to remember this book of the Bible. He's calling them to look back and remember. Do not be a monumental forgetter. Remember what I did in the book of Exodus. Remember how I rescued you from slavery in Egypt. I brought you to a promised land where you could be free to serve me and worship me. Remember what I did and I showed my power as I split the Red Sea. Remember what I did when I gave you the law. Remember how you acted when you were thirsty and I gave you water from a rock? Remember how you acted and you grumbled when you were hungry? I gave you the bread that the angels eat and even gave you meat? That rhymes, look at that. Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, the whole book of Exodus, God is constantly calling his people, look back and remember. Remember this. And so I think it's such an ideal book for us to go to for the Advent season. And so what we want to do today, we have one goal. Our goal this morning is to better see the beauty of the Advent season as we see Christ proclaimed and pointed to in the shadows of the Exodus. Exodus. So I want you to look at your outline there. We're going to ask the question as a church body today, how do the shadows of Exodus, and that just means, th- this is shadows or, or something that is uh, pointing to something else, the, the greater reality. You know, my shadow is not me, but it is showing uh, who I am. It is showing something about what I look like. You see my little bald head in the shadows. You know, that, that kind of thing. A shadow is just showing you. Something that's pointing to the greater reality. We want to ask, how do the shadows of Exodus point us to the beauty of the Advent season? If you're a person you're like, oh, I don't like the word Advent, I'm going to say it this way. Okay, you ready? How does the book of Exodus point us to Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his return? Okay, that's what we're doing today. So join with me looking in the book of Exodus at the first point. Number one, we want to see this is God's people. That's who there is. Their exodus in Egypt. Their exodus in Egypt. Uh, Exodus chapter one, verse seven tells us a little bit about God's people at this time. And I want you to see what it says. Chapter one, verse seven. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. And they multiplied and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now, we've been in the book of Genesis since last April and we'll probably be in it for quite some time because we're not even halfway through yet. But when we conclude the book of Genesis, we will have made it to a point where God's people were in the midst of a famine. They were in a famine. And God rescued them from that famine by raising up one of the sons of God's family, that would be Joseph, into power in the land of Egypt. And so Joseph is in a high ranking position and he is able to bring all of his family from uh, the, the land where God had them into the land of Egypt and be a sojourner there, be a traveler there, a guest of Egypt. And they came to Egypt and they were able to eat and be rescued. Now they were taken care of there in Egypt. But during that time, uh, in the time that we leave the book of Genesis into the time that we pick up reading in the book of Exodus, they have moved from a family to a nation. This is what God told us would take place. And that's exactly what's happening. So we go from a family to a nation, but then in chapter one of Exodus, something else is going to take place. And the people are going to go from safety to slavery from safety to slavery. And so I want you to look with me there at the first point under their exodus in Egypt and we wanna see their slavery. Pick up reading with me there in verse eight of chapter, uh, chapter one. It said, now there arose a new king over Egypt who he did not know, Joseph. So he forgot about Joseph. He doesn't really know about him or his God. Verse nine. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. That's the work of God. You can't stop his people. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Verse 13 13 tells us, So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And so God's people who were protected in Egypt under the king who knew Joseph and probably the king after him, there ends up being a king who doesn't know about Joseph, doesn't care about Joseph, isn't worried about the Hebrew people or God's people. In fact, he sees them as a threat. And so he decides to place them in, uh, make them slaves. And so they're greatly oppressed and they are made to be slaves. This is not outside of God's plan uh, for his people. In fact, I want you to hear the words from Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. You may have forgotten this. Uh, We looked at this back a a couple months ago. But in Genesis 15, this is what the Lord says to Abram. He says, know for certain that your offspring, this is your family, they will be sojourners in a land that is not their own and they will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. See, the Lord knew this was gonna take place. This is not a shocker to him, but, but as for the people, they didn't know it was coming. And they are now slaves in a land of Egypt. They are oppressed as slaves. The Egyptians desired to work them as slaves and as quickly as possible in their existence by killing their sons. That's what God's people were under. They were slaves in Egypt. I want you to look with me at chapter 2, verse 23. And I want you to see what happens in the midst of this slavery. Hang in there with me. We're going to look at a lot. It's going to be fun. God's going to use this. So hang in there with me. You ready? Verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and the Word of God tells us, and God knew. God knew. In the midst of suffering, we must remember that God knows. He sees us, He hears us, He knows when we groan, and He cares. And we see that right here in chapter two of Exodus. Before these verses that we just read in chapter two, we find the birth account of a son. It's going to be a boy who is going to be rescued by his mother and by someone in the home of the Pharaoh. And this little boy is going to grow up in the household of the Pharaoh. He will uh, grow up under the education system of the Egyptians and yet know that he is a Hebrew uh, young man. Uh, Later in life as a young man, he is going to see one of the Hebrew people, one of his people be oppressed, be abused, and he strikes against an Egyptian and kills him. This boy that grew up in the home of the Pharaoh now flees to a place called Midian. His name is Moses. Moses is born there in chapter two and we watch him grow up and flee to a land trying to get away from a sure death there in Egypt. We see in Moses, our second point under their exodus, we see their savior, their savior. If you want to, you can take the S there and make it really small. That's fine. It's a lowercase S savior, a little lowercase H hero, but this is Moses And we we meet him here. This is uh, Moses, who God is going to, in chapter 3, he's going to pursue Moses as he was keeping flocks of sheep for his father-in-law, Jethro. He's going to pursue him, and God will appear to Moses in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. You remember this, but let's read it uh, quickly together. Look with me at chapter 3, starting in... Verse two, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him, appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. Probably all of us would do that. Okay, we saw a bush and if the bush wouldn't burn up, we'd probably say, I think I'll turn aside and look at it. You know, that's what we would, that's what we do. That's what Moses does. Verse four, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Look with me at verse nine. Verse nine says, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10, here's the kicker for Moses. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, Moses is going to now give uh, four, some people can say five statements here uh, of just hesitation, as you can imagine. Moses is at the ripe age of 80 and he is hanging out in Midian. He's pretty sure that he is done at this point. He's just trying to live a quiet life, stay away from Egypt. God comes to him, God pursues him and God says, I've got a job for you. I want you to go get the people out of slavery in Egypt and I want you to lead them to freedom so they can worship and serve me. Just go to the Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Moses says, "Uh, I'm not worthy to accomplish this mission. He said, God says to him, I'll be with you. That's chapter three, verse 11. Chapter three, verse 14. Uh, chapter three, I mean, chapter three, verse 13. He says, I don't know enough about you to do this. He says, what if they ask me who sent you? I don't even know your name. The Lord answered him in verse 14 and said, I am who I am. I am who I am. Say to them, I am has sent you. Woo, Okay. He said, well, they probably won't believe me when I tell them. It makes sense that he would think that. See, Pharaoh, yes, he's a king, but he also saw himself as a god. And so the Lord tells Moses, go to Pharaoh, who is king, walk up to him and say, hey, king, who believes you're a god, uh, I need you to let the Hebrew people who work for you, you need to let them go because God told me, the God of the Hebrews, the God of your slaves, he told me to tell you to let them go so they can worship him, not you. Well, that's that's a tough task. He also said, I don't speak well enough to communicate this important of a message. Can't you just send somebody else? Lord said, nope, you're still going as my prophet, but I'll send a mouthpiece with you, your brother Aaron. And so they head off, they go to the palace and they say, Pharaoh, God said, let his people go. Well, you know the story, Pharaoh isn't very uh, easy to get along with. And so he says, no, and we have 10 plagues before he lets them go. We have water turned into blood. We have frogs. We have gnats. We have flies. I remember one time this summer, I live in Duncanville and I thought, God, what are you doing? Uh, You know, there were flies everywhere. Do y'all remember that? Do y'all have that problem at your house? Anyway, it wasn't anything like in Egypt, but it felt like it. Flies. uh, Their Egyptian livestock died. Boils. Can you imagine that? And he still wanted them to stay. Boils on your skin. Hell. Locusts. Darkness. I want to read for uh, for you from the chapter with the darkness. I want you to see what God's word says about this. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. A darkness to be felt. I like that phrase. A darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all of the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But... All the people of Israel had light where they lived. See, for a a portion of the plagues, God separated his people from them. And so he plagued the Egyptians, but yet he protected his people to say, they're mine. I care for them. My people are cared for. But you let my people go or I will send another plague to you. And we know that once again, God sovereignly is over all of these plagues. The 10th and the final plague God sends is the death of the firstborn. I wanna read for you chapter 12, verses 21 through 28. And I want you to understand that there's a lot that goes into chapters 12 through chapters 14. This is difficult reading. But for us, we must understand that there are difficult realities that we must face. And this is one where God reveals his power and his glory through death. Exodus chapter 12, verse 21, it says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. He's telling them, when you see the the lamb killed and the blood is spilling out, Remind your children why. Remind them that this lamb died so that we wouldn't. Tell them why we're doing this. Observe this. Explain it to your kids. Exodus chapter 12 verse 30. It says, and there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Can you believe this? Can you imagine the scene? It says, Then the Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Up and go from among my people, go and serve the Lord. God, using teachable moments, he tells his people from this point on observe a Passover meal. Do it how I tell you to and observe it how I explain. As you do it, you'll remember my goodness in saving your life in Egypt. I want you to see that was their Passover. I want you to see lastly for their exodus, their promise. It was their promise to, after they left Egypt to go and serve God freely, to worship God freely. Uh, Pharaoh would change his mind once again and come after them. God would split the Red Sea and the people would go on dry ground. And as the Egyptians tried to follow them to capture them, the sea was let go and it crushed them under the waters. The people of Israel got on the other side of the Red Sea and and it was a picture of they were headed towards the promise, the promised land, the place where they would dwell with God as their God and they his people. That was their exodus. Their exodus from Egypt. Now I want you to see secondly, and we have plenty of time, trust me. Their exodus, I mean, our exodus in Christ Jesus. Let's look at our exodus in Christ Jesus. As we look back on this story from Exodus, let's now see maybe anew our exodus in Christ. Let's remember first our own slavery. The slavery in Egypt only pointed to a greater slavery. It's the slavery that all people, all of us born in our natural condition. We are slaves to sin. We are people who were born oppressed by the flesh and enslaved to sin. And you know this if you know you. And if you struggle knowing it about you, you know this because the person next to you, don't you? You know that we're people who are bent toward the flesh. That's how we're born. That's how we're born. We're slaves to sin. But with our slavery, God was not silent. He wasn't silent. God knew. God hears. God sees. In the book of Matthew, God came. In the introduction there to the New Testament, God came. Here in this Advent season, we celebrate that God came. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christ was born. God came. He came to save us from our sins. We see not only our slavery, which is to sin, but we also see our Savior. That's Christ Jesus, our Lord. The one Christmas and Advent is all about. This is Christ Jesus born to die, born to save. Listen quickly with me. This is Matthew chapter one, verse 20 and 21. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. There were many children at this time who were named Jesus. For it had been over 400 years. 400 years. Since the people had heard the Lord, they probably grew weary. They thought he's silent. He doesn't care anymore. And yet God was not silent. God was at work. And in the perfect timing, in his perfect timing, Christ Jesus was born. The name Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. We talked about this name earlier. You didn't even realize it. Moses said, what is your name? What shall I tell him? He said, tell him my name's Yahweh. Yahweh. It means I am who I am. Jesus is born, and his name means Yahweh is salvation, or the Lord saves. The Lord saves. There in Matthew 1, our our Savior's birth is promised the one who would save his people, rescue his people from their sins. So in our Exodus in Christ, we see our slavery, we see our Savior, we see our Passover. We see our Passover. The Last Supper, Jesus is with his disciples and he's having teachable moments with them. He's doing what a, uh, uh, what a person that is a Jew should do, and that is lead the family, lead his friends through the Passover meal. And they've been going through the meal, but they do something different this year than they've done any other year. This year, Jesus tells them to observe differently. He says this, Matthew 26, 26. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and he said, drink of it. All of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. See, it was here at the table that Jesus was observing the Passover celebration. The Passover meal that he was told that all the Jews were told, remember the Passover. Take this to remember what God did in the Exodus. And Jesus says, I want you to remember starting today differently. Now I want you to take bread and I want you to remember me. Remember my body, which will be broken for you. Remember this cup. Think of my blood, which will be spilt for you. See, on that day, we don't know. Maybe there was a lamb on the table. That would have been the norm, but we don't know if it was for the word of God doesn't tell us so, but I believe it was omitted so that we would see the lamb was not on the table, but the lamb was seated at the table. This was the one, this is Jesus Christ who John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. This is Jesus, our Passover lamb. The one who would die in our place. The one who would rise from the dead, giving us life for those who believe. As we look on Christ and as we believe, he dies so we don't have to. As we look to Christ, we believe on him and the wrath of God does not come over and be unleashed on us for it was unleashed on the son as he died in our place. He is our Passover lamb. He makes sense of Exodus. You read the book of Exodus, you say, why? So that God could give us greater glory of Christ Jesus. See, we appreciate him more because of the death of the lambs, because we see his worth in a greater way now. He is the sacrifice we need. We see our slavery, our Savior, our Passover, and finally, we see our promise. For God's people in the book of Exodus were promised this land a land that was flowing with milk and honey. I, I love reading about the promised land. There's this one scene in the book of Numbers and they come walking out and they've got, these, uh, they've got the, all these grapes that they bring from the promised land. I love grapes. And uh, they come walking out with these grapes that are so heavy that like two people have to carry the branches, like that kind of grapes. It was a great land. It was a prosperous land. But it was a land that only shadowed. It was a land that only would point to the land, to the kingdom that is to come. The kingdom that we read about in the book of Revelation when Christ Jesus will return. He's coming again and when he returns, he will bring a city with him. He will bring heaven to earth. He will make all things new. And in that promised land, in that promised world, where we who are Christ's people will be with Christ himself, there will be no death, no disease. There will be no more famine. There will be no more rape, hunger, anger. There will be no more evil. Not there. For we have the greater promise, the promise of a world without sin and a world with our God. That's the hope of Christmas. That's the celebration of Advent season, seen through the shadows of the Exodus. I wanna ask you to stand, and as you stand, Jennifer, come and lead us. And what we're gonna do today is this. Look, it's 11.55, I know, I know what time it is. It's 11.55. We're going to respond to God's word. It's very important that we do not hear and we don't harden our hearts. For oftentimes what we do is we hear God's word and then for some reason we suppress it as we are walking to the parking lot. And what we wanna do is we wanna ask God to take his word and place it deep in our hearts so that we see and we savor Christ Jesus. That because of what we believe about him, we know that we're safe. We know that we have hope in him. We know that we are loved and cared for. We know that in him our greatest days are yet to come. Today, if you've never believed on Christ Jesus, he died in your place so that you can have life. You will be forgiven of your sins. You'll be welcomed into his family by believing on Christ, by looking to him as your savior and Lord. If you wanna do that, come and respond today. Come and say, I don't even know what to do. I wanna believe. Come down front and believe today. You can believe where you are, but sometimes it helps to move. Move and come, be led. Some of you have known Christ for years and you need to be reminded of the beauty of who he is. We all do. Practice right now what we started with today. Preach the gospel to yourself. Come and respond. Turn from whatever is hindering you right now to Jesus Christ. To Jesus Christ who's rescued us from sin and death and he's brought us to the promise of life forever. Come to him today.